I'm Noel Holtzman, and this is Open Concept from Yahoo Finance. I made this podcast to bring attention to the entrepreneurs and innovators in Canadian business. Every other week, I will be sitting down with someone who is leading their industry, pioneering a new product or service, or just making interesting things happen. Join me as we go from the corner office to an open concept. This week, no cash in the zone. I like that. You got the... How, how you spelled, like how you phonetically spelled. <laughs> Mashtahedi. It's a, it's a tricky one. Hi, my name is Sasha Darius Mashtahedi, and I'm the CEO of Buns. For the uninitiated, Buns Trading Zone might seem anachronistic, a platform that offers old-fashioned barter in the digital era. The idea is simple enough. People are short on cash and long on things. Trade what you already have for what you need. No money required. But what began as a small, private Facebook group founded by Emily Bits in 2013 has now grown to include a proprietary app and over 1 million users worldwide. But as the company grew, so did the questions. How do you monetize a platform that is inherently anti-capitalist, and if not explicitly against money, certainly doesn't see profit as a prime motivator? Further, how do you grow the business globally while keeping intact the strong sense of community that is so vital to Buns? I invited CEO Sasha Darius Mojahidi to our downtown Toronto studio to talk fair value trades, cryptocurrency, and how the ethos of Buns relates to the little free library I set up on my front yard. Tell us a little bit about the evolution of Buns, both from when Emily started it and then from when you got involved over the past couple of years. Emily started Buns as a Facebook group. And when I got involved, that Facebook group had grown to about 5,000 people. I was working in parallel to Emily on an app called Shuffle at the time. The goal of that app was to create a better distribution of goods at a localized level. And so it was very, very similar to what Buns was doing. Sash and Emily joined forces three years ago, having been introduced through a mutual friend. The standalone Buns app, which provided users a dedicated location away from Facebook to make trades, was launched in 2016. And uh, when we met, we, we kind of said, like, well, this is serendipitous. Like, you have this community that's kind of starting to grow, and it's on Facebook, and it's, it's really, you know, it's a barter economy, and we've built a barter economy app, and we have a very similar goal, so, like, we'd be stronger off working together. As of today, Sasha says the Bunsiverse, which consists of the Buns Facebook group and app, is about a million users strong, spread across cities around the globe. And although the Facebook-based Buns group still accepts members, the startup CEO says it's very probable that the majority of trades now take place through the app. Just to give you some math behind that, so we've done over a million transactions and there's been over 2 million offers on the application, on the Buns app. That includes things like, I think there's like 2.1 million items that have been posted. What were some of the driving elements behind the creation of the app from the user experience of what you felt was the most important? There's two things, right? Obviously, it's a marketplace, so like the items need to be clearly articulated so, so people can shop efficiently, so efficiency. Um, but I think also like equal to that one piece in marketplaces is what we haven't seen is, is people. Like I think people are super important. I think one of the things we always say is like we create meaningful connections locally and like where buns is how people meet like if you ask a person from toronto or a person from montreal or ottawa or calgary or vancouver or edmonton wherever buns has prominent communities like they typically have done a transaction with someone and they've got a huge amount of value out of trading something that they didn't want for something that they did need 
But it seems to me that while it's clearly a barter exchange, there is an unofficial currency in the form of, of whether it's the tall cans of beer or whether it's the subway tokens. Um, gift cards. The gift cards, right? And does this not put a lie to the notion of the barter? But it seems to me sort of creating an unofficial so exchange. I, yeah, yeah. It's really, it's a good, it's a valid point. So I like to put it this way. I like to put it as like Buns engineered a problem. Uh, and the problem was twofold. It's one is the medium of exchange issue, which is the thing that we use to exchange. And the other issue is value disparity issue. Um, and these, these are like fundamental issues that were known to be as a result of creating a barter economy. I think it was always in good intention that Buns has not really, like there's always this rule of like no cash in the zone. And I think it was of good intention because having the absence of dollars left room for relationships. And uh, I think that is what makes Buns special. And, and when, when you remove dollars from the equation, what ends up happening is something like this. I have a bicycle. You want my bicycle. Uh, you want to pay me the least amount of money for my bicycle. I want, I want the most amount of money for my bicycle. So you and I are fundamentally at odds. And barter kind of removes that problem from the equation where it's like, hey, look, I have this, this call it, you have a, I don't know, maybe that's like a cool, like 1980s sun ice jacket. And I have the bicycle and I'm like, oh, I really love your jacket. That'd be so cool. That'd be great. I could use that. And you're like, oh, I could really use your bicycle. And so there's this opportunity to like come a little bit closer as people and not be at fundamental odds from an economic model perspective. And that's what why I think barter is the right starting point because it requires people to allow room for a relationship and allow, allow themselves to connect to other people in a meaningful way. Buns made a big move last month in releasing what Sasha calls a cryptocurrency or coin native to the Buns app. The aptly named Bits, spelled B-T-Z, in honor of Buns Trading Zone, is also an homage to founder Emily Bits. Tell us about the about the the bits and and how that is going to then inform the user experience and the exchange. Sure. So uh, bits is a cryptocurrency or a coin. We like to call it a coin. Um, uh, you won't be able to buy bits. You earn it through the platform. When you think about bits, um, what you'll be able to do with it is really two things. You'll be able to uh, pay people in chat, so you can pay each other in bits, or you can uh, shop at. Well, there's 150 stores in Toronto that will be accepting bits. How who issues it? And, and how is it managed, right? So so I, I go on to the app, I put my running gear, cycling gear. How does the, how do the bits- uh, Integrate into that process? Yes. It starts before you post something. So if you join the app, uh, if you join the Buns app, you download it, uh, you go into your wallet and you activate your wallet. When you activate your wallet, you get a uh, thousand bits for free, just deposited in your wallet. Um, that's, I think it's a, the value is, so I think it's about 300 bits to a cup of coffee, um, from dark horse. So you could just literally walk over to dark horse as soon as you activate your wallet and go get a cup of coffee for free with bits. The, the, the way you earn bits is from a number and through a number of ways. So, uh, on the app, you can, the first thing you'll, you'll encounter is this video that we created to help you understand how to use bits. Buns began with a simple goal. Trade what you got for what you need. And once you watch Over that, years, you'll earn, I think it's another board. 10 bits right that, then and there. And if you invite your friends, you'll earn more bits from inviting your friends. And if you if you have a popular post that people are looking at it or interacting with that post, uh, you'll earn even more bits. Because essentially what you're doing is anytime you've contributed to the network's growth or the content of the network, we've rewarded that behavior. Um, and then you can take that, that value and you can literally redeem it with other people or you can redeem it at stores. 
I think when you look at like history, you see, you know, eBay when it first launched was this like awesome platform. I was super enthused as a kid. I think I was like 10 and I emailed the CEO like the second day it launched. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I want to work for you. He never emailed me back, I don't think, but or actually he did email, email me back, which is really kind, but he's like, sorry, kid, you're too young. <laughs> but um, then they bolted on this thing called PayPal and PayPal made it way easier to use the platform because I could transact with, through, with real value um, without having to send a check. And then this other company came along. Uh, it was called Amazon. And Amazon brought inventory online that wasn't online. So they brought more inventory online. And they, instead of using PayPal, they had this own, their own system, which is called one-click payments. And essentially, they used their own payment rail, which is this system that allowed you to attach your credit card and pay through your credit card. So we had this first block where it was like this auction house with a PayPal. And then we have this marketplace that brought more inventory online and created this innovation around how you one-click pay. And now really I see Buns as an opp opportunity for us is to bring local businesses online. So bring new inventory online from local businesses and then connect it to a, a payment rail that is more efficient in cost and beneficial to local economies uh, than the previous solutions we've seen. To, to really maximize the potential, you have to create a full ecosystem and of, you know, decentral, to really truly decentralize, you've got to create this ecosystem. And the reason that is, is because the vast majority of value that's created for large monopolies in this space, like in this particular case, I'm referring to Facebook, is uh, on your data. Like they sell you your information to advertisers. Advertisers then take that information, target the people that are appropriate. And although it might be slightly anonymized at times, and then serve ads. Now, one of the things we've heard from our community on an over like an ongoing basis is like, I'm an admin of this group. I've got 100,000 people in this group and I don't get compensated for it. Well, you can solve that problem. All of a sudden you can say, well, okay, imagine that you took Facebook's advertising model and you, instead of taking the profit that was generated from that model, you took, let's say 4% of that total, 5%, whatever it is, 2%, it doesn't, some really, really small number. And you gave the other 95% back to the users for seeing the ads. And if that ad was seen in a particular zone, a particular social group, then the administrator of that, ad, that zone would earn a, a, a small rake of the amount that the people were paid who saw the ad. And so all of a sudden you have this way of earning internet income. Buns shouldn't really in the end be owned by anybody, it should be owned by everybody. Um, and that means that at a certain point, the company could find itself in a spot where, you know, call it 20 years from now or maybe longer, I don't know, we have no superpower to change the system. The superpower is actually the people's decision to change the system. Twitter is an example, is a great example of a platform that had a really dedicated following and scale to a certain level, but then has had trouble expanding beyond that. I wonder how, how do you see that challenge to make it the user experience as, uh, as easy and simple as possible to reduce the friction as much as can be removed while at the same time adding greater functionality. Yeah, that's really, that's a really, it's like magic, right? You're like, how do you do magic? <laughs> um, so I would say that we've been in beta with the, with bits on the Buns app for the last month, using it at a peer-to-peer -peer level and in, with the stores. Uh, one of the things that we've kind of really focused on is, is making coins or cryptocurrency really usable. And the reason is, is because like right now, like you, if you are into cryptocurrencies, like what it looks like is like you go on some exchange, you buy some different, different coins, you have these different hardware wallets. It's like, you've got to take a photograph of yourself and your ID. It's just like all these different weird things that are very, very complex for the average person. If you're not a cryptography expert or a cryptocurrency enthusiast or an investor, like it's just foreign. So we wanted to make it as simple as possible and remove as many barriers as possible. And I think that was the most important thing to us, which is like, that's why you can't buy bits right now. 
like you can only earn bits because we don't want you to feel like you have exposure by having to put your credit card in some system. Um, and, you know, it shouldn't even feel like a cryptocurrency or a coin. It should just feel like this thing that you can use in the app that has value that other people accept. I, like we haven't really seen a really great example of a, a platform or an application where cryptocurrency is easy to use. People often refer to what work, things like projects like ours as Buns as a Web3 application. So like the next kind of version of what's going to happen. And I, I think to do it, to kind of create the right experience um, really requires a, a pretty deep knowledge of the infrastructure side and what's available to draw down on from like a cryptography and blockchain perspective, but then a really, really, really keen sense on how to make it simple to use. When you see, well, an analogy between first eBay uh, and then referenced Amazon. Those, of course, they started off small and now they're massive. But we've seen numerous examples. Snap is now experiencing this, you know, because of Instagram, Facebook, of where a smaller entity has a, uh, a great concept uh, that looks like it, it's going to get traction and it has immediate utility and appeal in a larger, infinitely... I feel, like, I, feel like this, I feel like this is a backhanded compliment. No, no. I just, I'm, I'm curious as to how, uh, how much does this occupy your... The worry of someone else coming in? Yes, coming in and, and doing it at scale. You are at scale, but at greater scale and with deeper sure. pockets. I, I, first of all, I wish you great luck <laughs> because what we're doing, it, it hasn't been done. It's very difficult. Um, not to say that there aren't amazingly brilliant minds out there that can can kind of work on this. We, the more people that work on this, the better. That's that's our our stance, because it, it offers benefit to the public at large. We we obviously buns. We want to be the one to do it, and that's why we're working so hard to give our community this new idea and this new benefit. But the, the fundamental issue with what you're saying is this: is that the companies that are large that have the scale that have the money to do something like this. To do something like this would be mean them forfeiting their existing revenue models. So they have to burn their house to build their house. So it, it's a very difficult proposition. We can agree that blockchain and cryptocurrencies are a new technology stack that offer probably a hundred or thousand years of the future's economy on it. Like we know that the infrastructure works. We're just looking for the use case. Yeah. And so I think the the, the the so the answer there is twofold. One is you'd you'd have to. Facebook, essentially in Facebook's case, they'd give up their advertising, 95% of their advertising dollars and give it all back to users, which I don't imagine they're willing to do right now. So Facebook would give their, their revenue, advertising revenue back to users, and then they would have a marketplace that would allow them, the user, or there'd be another application, a marketplace where the user could take that internet income that they've earned through their data that advertisers have spent, they'll receive it in coin, and then they spend it at a local marketplace. So on the marketplace side, essentially what the implications would be is that if you had a spread or a rake you're generating on the transactions you're completing on your platform outside of your gross market value of the total goods of the platform, what would end up happening is you would then forfeit that. So it's like we're, for, we're literally not building something that we will even own in the future. We're building something that is going to be owned by everybody who uses it. And so it's not about me benefiting. It's not about the team benefiting. Yes, there will be benefits along the way, but at a certain point, you stop the benefits and you say, you know what? I think the company has done really well. It's built an amazing product for a huge number of people. And now it's time that that product and that, that the entirety of that revenue stream be entirely controlled and owned by the people themselves. It's a bit of a revolution. Coming up, how Buns plans to make money to keep the lights on, pay the staff and grow the business.
all of this is, is sort of an elephant in the room here, and uh, I'd be remiss of not raising it because sure. it's the finance podcast, is the monetization component. And I, I know that uh, to date, it seems, maybe we'll rectify this now, um, that there's been a certain reluctance to, to talk about that piece, right, around... Um, oh, we're going to talk about it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, let's talk about okay. it. Are we, are we, is this going to be subscription? Is it going to be commission? Is no, it... no, no. Yeah, so... Um, so to date, obviously, Buns has been uh, venture-backed. Yes. Uh, everyone's favorite question, though, because it's like you hear barter economy and people are like, cool, but how do you make money? Yes. Um, because they're essentially alluding to the lack of a an instrument in between the transaction that allows people to extract value. And there's no ads on the... And there's no ads on the platform. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That's intentional. Yes. Um, so the way, uh, the way that Buns will... Uh, benefit as a company will benefit and it will only again my vision for the company is to th that uh, the company will benefit for let's call it just for, as an example please don't ever hold me to this but 20 years we'll have profitability for 20 years and after that 20 years that margin that we would take um, will completely go away and then the, all that margin would be given back so like that profitability would be given back to the user base as well so let's imagine you have a hundred let's say you make a um, million dollars a year on ads and of those ads uh, Buns gets to keep 5%. The 95% gets put into a reserve capital, which gets converted into coins, bits, and gets distributed to the users based on their behaviors in the app. So 95% of the money goes back to the user base, 5% stays with the company for a period of time. After that period of time ends, that like that that 5% goes poof and goes 100% goes to the user base. But, but part of that 5% is paying salaries and keeping lights on yes. and paying oh, for totally. computers. And yes, yeah. So it's it's building the application. It's, okay. it's, it's, so the 5% goes to, um, you know, the company building the application, the, the needs of expanding the team. But when you look at something at scale, <clears throat> I can't remember what the number was. I think it was like Facebook made 39 billion last year or something like this. Like 5% of that's a huge amount of money, more than, more than sufficient to scale a team up and to build an amazing application layer. It's not rocket science anymore. It's not like you can replicate these things. But I think, so the answer there is, is, you know, the marketplace side will never take a, a transaction fee at a peer to peer level. We won't like, we're not going to take bits off the table every time I send bits to you. Um, what will likely happen is we're, we are working on a number of other pieces of the ecosystem. And when we introduce those pieces, we will have uh, the ability for advertisers to reach and interact with customers in a net new way. Um, and as those dollars flow in from advertisers, we'll convert them to coins. 95% of the coins, again, don't hold me to the statistical numbers or the, the spreads, but a significant, the vast majority of the coins will go to the user base and they can use them to buy things from local stores and also from each other. And, uh, but we will keep a small percentage of it until we feel that our responsibility as the core founders of the platform has been met and we can hand over the custody of the platform to everybody rather than it being owned by us. That makes sense. It's and, a very and, new idea, yeah, right? And, and not, to be, not to be pedantic, but I just wanted to sort of tease out this uh, use case a bit further. So yesterday I'm on the app, I'm looking for Lululemon yoga gear, mm -hmm. as one does. Is a, a future eventuality that uh, Lululemon or other yoga manufacturer would target an ad to me saying, you know, rather rather than, you know, procure your yoga pants uh, through an exchange, why don't you come to our store and spend $120 on them? Absolutely not. No. no. Yeah, so, that, that's not how it's going to work. No. Um, so I, I actually imagine that the marketplace will remain ad-free for the most part. But I think there's a number of ways to do this. Imagine brands had their own tokens that they could give you um, and you could use those tokens to buy goods from their stores. Um, imagine um, 
imagine a social application that was there's the core marketplace application and there's a, a sister a sister or brother application that is uh, peer to it and that's where your social behaviors that we because we remember when we first started this conversation I said those like we focused on the marketplace that's where you spend mon- money we are working towards the social side and as we build the social side that's where you earn money it seems to me that there is something very fundamentally disruptive about buns and what it represents to to retailers yes like for instance in front of our house we have and we've had for years a little free library yeah i don't anticipate chapters loves the proliferation of these little Books. free libraries yeah. or indigo um, i think they're great i i think they're great yeah, too you, you can't help but walk past them and smile and be like hmm i wonder what they got in there any lord of the rings or <laughs> and we've had art for for years we put it up in the dead of winter and it has and it has resulted in constant community churn. yeah community and yeah, yeah and you know yesterday somebody left a note a thank you somebody else uh, last week left a box of chocolates um and that's wonderful, but I'm never anticipating a bookstore to get behind it, even though I would argue that it promotes reading, right? Mm-hmm. But what is it in any of these retailers' best interests, to use retail as an example, to to help support this model when you're, everything is about enabling consumers to opt out of the retail experience? I think you're looking at it from the marketplace side. So you're looking at it as a secondhand economy side, but yes. not everything will be secondhand on the application. So when the stores are, the 150 stores that we're launching when we launch Bits, those will um, those will be selling you new goods. So you'll be able to use Bits for both new goods and used goods and food and beer and whatever else you may want to use it for. I think Buns fundamentally is disruptive to, I would say like big business, like very big businesses. But I think there's room for them to participate in a meaningful way. I think like it's not like Nike's like you're, Nike's not going to go away. You know these large large companies that create consumer products are not going to go away. I think what you're seeing is the reaction of people who kind of like we're in an overconsumed state. Like we all have too much stuff. We're long on stuff and short on money. And so Buns is a solution for people to save and also get goods that are you know gently loved kind of and use them still but i think uh the way the reason businesses are like the existing businesses that we've been interacting with have wanted to come on and work with us is because they look at it as a way to like it's not just about selling you stuff anymore it's like it's past that we have to get past the idea that like everything is just about like you should buy more you should buy more stuff you always want more stuff because i think the businesses that are working with us kind of view it like yeah buns represent something really special and important that is around sustainability, social responsibility to each other, community, like all these different core values and to align, to associate with that rather than to associate with like massive profit taking on a platform like Facebook, that's the difference. So like imagine, let me put it this way, like a number of, of advertisers have been pulling out of Facebook is what the news has been saying. I don't know. I can't really confirm or deny that, but it's not surprising because I think at a certain point outside of the data breach issues, um, I think the there's an, a bigger issue at play, which is like, why is it that we still believe that monopolies are the most efficient model? Because, and I think the answer to that is because no one's built the better alternative, and that's what we're doing. For entrepreneurs who are who are listening to this and are envious of the you know considerable success that Buns has achieved, can you can you just elaborate on some of the mistakes that you feel you've made and some of the lessons learned? Oh, I mean, there's so many. Um, <laughs> you make a lot of mistakes along the way. I think like the lesson, I, I, I've, I've, I would say that the more important than the mistakes I've made is that is the conclusion that after you make enough of them, 
you have a choice as to whether or not you're going to continue to keep doing what you're doing. And, and the value of that choice is that it 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 makes you ask the question whether or not what you're doing is worth doing. Like, cause you, you make enough mistakes. Mistakes are painful. They hurt you emotionally hurt. You financially hurt you socially hurt, whatever, whatever the, the inflicted pain is. But what the value of that really is to me is that like, is that it makes you ask whether or not what you're doing is worth continuing to do. Because if you're willing to take like punishment after punishment, cause you know, or, or mistake after mistake, um, and, put yourself through that process, then it means what you're doing is really, really important. And like, I asked myself, I hit a point where I asked myself, like, and I made a lot of big mistakes that cost money and, and, you know, hurt relationships. And, and I think the answer that I kind of walked away with was like, well, this is still more important than me feeling bad about myself right now. Um, because I think the world will be better with, with a decentralized marketplace and a decentralized social application that paid people and they could use that. It'll make things more affordable in cities. It'll benefit local economies. Like I can't not do this. It has to be, I think this, like this has to be, this has to be something real. And I mean, I, I use this example just because it's really tangible for most people, but like imagine Elon Musk watching his rockets blow up in the sky. Like every time one of those rockets, when he first started to start to launch SpaceX blew up in the sky, that must've been brutal because at a certain point you're counting down like when you're going to run out of money or you're like am i going to have enough money for another rocket but i would be willing to bet that like his purpose and his mission of like mars 2020 is almost like my purpose for like buns when you find your purpose you feel like it's like it doesn't matter how many times you make a mistake how many times you fail because you know that you have something really meaningful you've got like a secret that to, to the formula that you're you're working on that um and you're not willing to see a future without that product it doesn't matter how many times you fail Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank, thank you, you very much. I'm really glad that you were able to come in and we were to have this conversation. Yeah, thank you very much. And you know, thank you to the Buns community as well. I love you guys. That was Sasha Darius Morshahedi, CEO of Buns. If you like this show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite listening app. Drop us a review or let us know a disruptive Canadian business leader who you'd like to hear from. I'm Noel Holzman. You can reach me at nhulsman at oath.com. That's N-H-U-L-S-M-A-N at oath, O-A-T-H dot com. Or find me on Twitter at at N-G The show was produced by Stephanie Werner. See you in two weeks.